Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. This past weekend, my kids and I got to talking. We started daydreaming about all the fun things we're going to do this winter, all the things we want to do when daddy comes home from his army training, and that ever-evolving question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answers I got were pretty typical for a seven, six, and four-year-old. My oldest wants to be a police officer or a soldier in the army like daddy. My middle child wants to be a professional wrestler, and my youngest just wanted another piece of Halloween candy. Thinking back on it, I had some pretty wild aspirations too. At one point, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then I wanted to shoot photography for National Geographic magazine. But most importantly, I knew I wanted to be married, and I knew I wanted to be a mom. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a vocation as a summons or strong inclination to a particular state or course of action, most notably a divine call to the religious life or the work in which a person is employed, their occupation. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or USCCB for short, has a committee on clergy, consecrated life, and vocations. And every year, they commission the Center for Applied Research to conduct a survey of the religious profession class of that year. The survey polled women and men religious who professed perpetual vows in 2022 in a religious congregation, province, or monastery based in the United States. And they received some really fascinating responses from 484 of the 737 major superiors for an overall response rate of 66% among religious institutes. Here are some notable things to highlight from that survey that I found very interesting, and I hope you do too. On average, respondents report that they were 18 years old when they first considered a vocation to religious life, with half being 18 or younger when they first did so. The average age of responding religious at the profession class of 2022 was 33. Half of the responding religious are 34 or younger, the youngest is 25, and the oldest is 75. More than 9 in 10 responding religious, or 92%, have been Catholic since birth. Among those who became Catholic later in life, their average age at the time of their conversion was 11. More than 9 in 10 responding religious report that someone encouraged them to consider a vocation in religious life. Men are more likely than women to be encouraged by a parish priest, friend, mother, or parishioner. Meanwhile, women were more likely than men to be encouraged by a religious sister or brother. 2 in 10 responding religious earned a graduate degree before entering their religious institute. 75% entered their religious institute with at least a bachelor's degree. More than 84% had work experience prior to entering their religious institute. More than half were employed full-time, and 3 in 10 were employed part-time before entering their religious institute. Among those who report work experience, the main work fields were business, 
education, and healthcare. And while these numbers are impressive, they've actually dwindled from years prior. And we need good priests now more than ever. Today marks the beginning of National Vocations Awareness Week, and we have the absolute honor and privilege of speaking with Bishop Timothy Sr., the 12th Bishop of Harrisburg and former rector of St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, to help us fill in the gaps of what it means to be called to a vocation, how the journey can look different for everyone, and how we can support those discerning a call to religious life. Bishop Senior, thank you so much for joining us on Candid Catholic Convos. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to have you here, and I'm I'm very excited to get into Vocations Awareness Week with you. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Rachel. It's great to talk to you as well. For those in our audience who are just starting to get to know you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I'm, I I just recently be, began my fifth month as the 12th Bishop of Harrisburg. I installed on, on June the 21st. It's it's been really wonderful. I, I've uh, been learning so much uh, very quickly. Still on a kind of steep learning curve, getting to know the diocese and getting around the diocese. But it's it's been really wonderful. It's been a great experience. I I um, I really feel called to be here, and uh, I I'm just very grateful uh, as well for this great great privilege and, and to be entrusted with the ministry of being the bishop of such a wonderful diocese. So I've. Uh, yeah, I've been a priest for 38 years. Uh, I was ordained in 1985 for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And then I served in a number of administrative capacities there over the years, mainly, uh, though I was in a parish at the beginning. And I always assisted at a parish on weekends. But uh, eventually, I was made an auxiliary bishop in 2009 and served uh, for 14 years as an auxiliary bishop there. Most of that time, I was the rector of uh, our seminary, St. Charles Barmeo Seminary in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. So we have uh, seminarians from the Diocese of Harrisburg who are students there, and that's been going back for a very long time. There's a there's close association between St. Charles and Harrisburg actually uh, began with the founding bishop of Harrisburg. Bishop Jeremiah Shanahan was serving as the, the rector of the college seminary at St. Charles in 1868 when he was appointed as the founding bishop of, of Harrisburg. So uh, and there've been a lot of overlaps with bishops in St. Charles through those years, so it's a, it's a grace uh, to to be here now and to have this opportunity. That's fascinating. I love I love when things overlap like that. It's almost like they were yeah. divinely inspired. I want to talk a little bit about vocations, and especially with your background with St. Charles Borromeo, you are aptly prepared to speak about this. Could you explain for me when we talk about a vocation? I think a lot of us think of that question when we grow up, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want my job to be this. Is there a difference between a vocation and a job, or is there something specific for the definition of vocation as it applies to religious life? Well, I just take it very high level. We're all in the world for a reason. God has given every one of us the precious gift of life for a purpose, to do his will, uh, to fulfill God's plan in our life, to come to discover that and then pursue it with all your heart, that's the most important thing you're ever going to do. Uh, and I, would say, I, I say this a lot. Uh, I speak about it mainly in confirmations. I want the, the young people who are being confirmed to think about the fact that God does indeed have a plan for them. And he's made each one of us just the way we are with our strengths and weaknesses, even our weaknesses, um, our, our personalities and the gifts and talents. All of that works together to basically to play an irreplaceable role in the lives of other people. God invites us basically to collaborate with him. 
that God wants to use us and to live in us and to affect uh, the lives of other people in a positive way. So coming to discover that plan, first of all, it's, it's not always clear, not always clear at first. Sometimes there's a number of twists and turns, so we need to be patient. Uh, and the other thing is it almost always involves sacrifice in some degree. Uh, and I would say, too, that we shouldn't be afraid of that, you know, that the most fulfilling, meaningful uh, experiences that we've had in life, uh, that I've had in my life, have, have always involved some degree of setting aside myself or what I would rather do and to be open to what I believe God is calling me to do. And we think about that in, in some of the sort of core vocations of life. You think, think about marriage where the spouses give themselves to each other. Uh, you know, they used to say marriage is, is it's not 50-50. It's 100% and 100%, right? And certainly parents, uh, you know, we think about all of us are here today because for the most part, somebody else loved us enough to make some pretty significant sacrifices for us. So that vocation and 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 life, our planning for our lives almost always involves some degree of letting go of myself so that I can really flourish as a person. As Christians, we believe that that takes the form of following Jesus Christ, following in the footsteps of Christ. And what does Jesus say? If you want to be my follower, you got to take up your cross and follow in my footsteps. Uh, so I think that coming to discover that uh, it has it happens in many levels. And we, we, we speak in the church of vocation as a state of life. You're called to the married life, to the single life, to the consecrated life, or to ordained ministry as a priest or deacon. And sometimes there's overlaps between those, right? Also, though, I, I think that all, of, all, all people of faith can, can certainly connect their, their professional life to a vocation. On Sunday this past week, I, I celebrated the Mass for Healthcare Professionals at uh, St. Joan of Arc Parish in Hershey. And there were, I guess, about maybe 40 or 45 uh, physicians, medical students, nurses, health, other healthcare professionals who were present. You know, healthcare is a vocation, you know, and when you think about the sacrifices, not only that they, they carry on in their graduate studies, which takes so many, many years, but the sacrifices that physicians and healthcare professionals provide, we, we all came to a greater appreciation of that with COVID, didn't we? Uh, when we realized how important those heroes are on the front lines, if you remember three years ago. So there, I, I do believe that, 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 that we can discover that, uh, the vocation of, of attorneys or people who get into politics, for example, or, or people who get into technology and, and use their creative energies for that, or, or people who work in communications like yourself. You know, there's, a, there's a, definitely a calling there. People who work in the trades, you know, uh, to, to work with our hands, to work in that very, very important uh, aspect of, of building or constructing or caring for people, helping to make other people's lives better. I think you can probably find every job and think of it in terms of a vocation and recognize the hand of God in that. And the hand of God, we call it God's providence, that we discover God's will and, uh, and, and we pursue it. How does that relate specifically to the religious life? I, I believe that for myself, you know, as a, as a, as a priest and bishop now, uh, I have a, a very clear sense that, that my vocation and my professional life, for lack of a better term, is grounded in a discernment that I basically made as a young man that I was called to the priesthood, that I believe this was in fact what God wants me to do. Now, I, I don't think that that is 
a un, it, it, it's unique in the sense that it that uh, discovering a call to the priesthood or to the consecrated life as a woman or, or man male religious uh, in 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 the church that 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 certainly is a is a very spiritual discernment but I think all of us can discern and we need to pray about what God's calling us to do in in our professional lives and in, and in our certainly in our life choices. That's fascinating, and I I love what you said about the divine providence. It, it certainly phrasing it that way makes it easier to get up to go to work on a Monday morning after you've had a long weekend and yeah. aren't really ready to get back to the grind. It helps to know that this is what God really wants me to do. Yes, and it's it's a way that we can honor God yeah. by fulfilling what He's asked us to do. He's put me in this situation because first of all, because He loves me, and I've got to always remember that. And then he, he, he loves all of us equally, and uh, he wants us to flourish, and we have to be able to find his will in that. That's beautiful. And I like what you said about discernment and about how it, it's not exclusive to religious life. It's uh, it's with everything in life, with discerning yeah. a career, or, you know, married life, single life, what have you. It's Everything is about yeah. discerning God's call. And God always wants what's best for us. You know, we think of those beautiful words in the prophet Jeremiah I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future full of hope. That's one of my favorite verses. Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind expanding a little bit on your personal journey? Um, yeah. Let's t- Can we talk about your discernment and how you learned mm. that this is what God wanted you to do? Yeah. Sure, certainly. I, I, I grew up in a, in a uh, relatively traditional Catholic family. Um, uh, my parents were both Catholic. The, I, I'm the youngest of three. Um, my mother in particular was very active in the church. She was a, a taught for decades as a, in, in uh, parochial schools and then was also uh, a musician and, and directed our parish choir. She was a singer as well in the church throughout her life. And um, uh, so as a, a, as a young man, uh, as a, really as a child, I started uh, studying music. I studied, started studying the piano when I was seven years old. And um, that eventually led me into participation in the parish choir, with where my, which my mother was the director, and then eventually studying the organ as well. Um, along the way, too, when I was in about the fifth grade, I became an altar boy, an altar server. And that I remember uh, between those two things, the, ex, the, the closeness to the liturgy and the celebration of the Eucharist, I think awakened in me an interest. First, it was just sort of a curiosity and it was really a, a, a deeper sense of an awareness that, you know, that maybe God was calling me to the priesthood. And I did get that at a very young age. I can remember being in eighth grade, um, again, as an altar server, but I was, it was, it was during adoration uh, that I had a very clear feeling. Actually, there was a young man with me whom I thought, I remember talking and praying a little bit and I'm saying, I bet you, I bet you, you know, he's, he's called to the priesthood. And, uh, but I had a deeper sense that uh, an awareness that that's when it's beginning to come forward in me. Playing the organ for mass and getting involved in the, in the liturgy in that way also opened it up. Music in general for me is a very spiritual uh, experience for me. Uh, I'm sure it is for many people, but uh, people say, why do you play the piano? Is it a hobby? It's more than a hobby. It's, it's really part of my spirituality and part of the way I, I get centered in life. And so that, that would be that was the context in which by the time I was in high school, I I really was thinking very seriously of it. When I was a freshman, I I started hanging out in the guidance office and looking a little bit at brochures and things they had there about religious orders. I, I remember pulling out a couple of uh, 
cards and sending them away. And all of a sudden, a, a packet of information came from the Jesuits. Uh, my my mother and father looked at this, and you know, I'm 13 years old. And what, what are you, what's he thinking about here? <laughs> and also the Vincentians, I remember at that time, because my parents grew up in the Germantown section of Philadelphia, uh, which is uh, all those parishes, almost all of them uh, back in those days and even to this day were staffed by the Vincentians. Vincentian priests, the congregation for the mission, and, and uh, the the shrine of the miraculous medal is there uh, as well. So uh, my I started thinking about that because my parents were always talking about the Vincentians in Germantown. But I, I set it aside after after that, and it really wasn't until everybody else was applying to colleges that uh, I was a senior in high school, and I, I I sort of publicly manifested a desire to to go into the seminary. So I did. I, I discerned again for a while. Um, my uh, parents were concerned about me entering. I was just—I had just turned seventeen when I graduated from high school, from Lansdale Catholic High School in Montgomery County, and uh, they were—they re- realizing that they really wanted me to wait, get a little more life experience. My father, in particular, wanted me to be at least eighteen. I was reluctant about that, but I applied at other places and um, was eventually I, it was decided I would go to Temple University for my first year of college. I was and uh, went to the Temple University Ambler campus in Montgomery County there. And it was a great experience. And during that year, a couple uh, things that I that happened was I, I really looked again at religious life as opposed to the diocesan priesthood, which I eventually obviously uh, did. Uh, I looked again at the Jesuits and uh, in particular, and was discerning between a, 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 a sense that I could have uh, the consecrated life as a religious priest in, in, the, in the Society of Jesus versus the diocesan priesthood. But by about March of my freshman year in college, it became clear that I felt that I was wanted to enter St. Charles Borromeo Seminary for the diocesan priesthood. The other major thing that happened in that, uh, talk about God's providence, was uh, right after I graduated from high school, my father uh, had become very ill. And uh, it was actually in in that summer, early in that summer, that he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he, he died uh, Labor Day weekend of what would have been you know, the weekend before I would have entered the seminary. So I was, I was home for a year with my mother and my sister. My brother was already living on his own. And um, I did exactly what my father wanted me to do. I got, I got a job. I, I worked at, at Wanamaker's in Montgomery Mall for a year. Um, and for that year. And I also, uh, Wanamaker's was a department store in Philadelphia back in the day. <laughs> it's, I don't know that it's been Wanamaker's in a while, but, and I also, uh, again, as I mentioned, looked at other, other religious uh, orders as a possibility. I mean, I eventually was a, applied to the seminary and was accepted. And I started in, in 1978. Discernment though, you know, the decision to go into the seminary is not, it's not an absolute commitment then I'm definitely going to be a priest. The seminary is a place where you're with other young men who are also discerning a, a call to the priesthood, which is a wonderful experience. It's it helps very helpful, but you know the, there's plenty of uh, steps along the way where you you really have to fi- focus and say, is God actually calling me to go on? And it's not just an individual's decision. The you know the church calls it a man to the priesthood. And that decision is usually on the basis of a recommendation from a, a team of faculty at, at a seminary. Some priests, usually uh, consecrated religious and, and lay faculty that, that work together 
to help a young man to discern. And then they make a recommendation and ultimately a bishop calls on behalf of the church uh, a man to the priesthood. So, it, uh, and I always used to say that to, you know, to young men, you know, it's a good context to discern, but you don't have to be absolutely certain. And by the way, absolute certainty is not something that we have in any vocation. You know, there's going to be bad days in everything. And you're going to say, is this really what I should be doing? You know, that happens, you know. Um, so we, we, we can't get discouraged, you know. Uh, there's uh, complete certitude is only going to come in heaven. You know, so there's, God invites us to trust. And there's always an element of risk. And that's true when, when a, a man and a woman fall in love and they decide to commit themselves in marriage. There's always an element of trust and risk. And the same thing is true with sort of an abandonment of self in, in a professional choice. Or, and that's certainly the case for the priesthood. So I, I, I trusted and went along the way. And during the, during the course of the seminary, I did again uh, reach out to uh, uh, the vocation director for the Jesuits in the, of the Maryland province. And uh, they helped me again to discern a call to, to diocesan priesthood. And I was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, as I said, in, in May of 1985. That's uh, that's quite a journey. And and first of all, from one temple owl to another, oh. I was <laughs> I was the main campus. Um, but I I love what you said about how seminary isn't isn't a guaranteed thing. It's a it's a discernment process. It strikes me that sem- you described seminary as a as a discernment process where. Most people, when they think of college, they think of a college experience and you're probably going to change your major a few times, but, you know, you might change colleges. But seminary is more designed for figuring out that thought process and making sure that you're actually right. hearing what you think you're hearing. Is is right. that correct in, in that assumption? Yes, it is. it is. You know, first of all, it's more than academics. Mm. You know, it's, it's as a matter of fact, that's an important component of it. They are, um, you know, seminaries are typically have to be fully accredited. Uh, usually by the secular accrediting body. And here in Pennsylvania, it would be the Middle States Commission on Higher Education. But seminaries usually also have a a theological accreditation, the Association of Theological Schools. So there is an important academic aspect of this. And they get degrees. You know, at St. Charles, I have a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy. And that is the only major that you can have at St. Charles on the undergraduate level. And then uh, your master's degree and Master of Arts in Theology. And, And before that, there's a professional uh, degree called the Masters of Divinity, which is typical for for uh, other denominations as well. It's not just uniquely to Catholic. But there are four dimensions to priestly formation. Intellectual or academic formation is just one. Now, sometimes seminarians think that it, it is a disproportionate amount of time spent that way. But there's also human formation, spiritual formation, and pastoral formation. And they're very, very, they're equally important. You know, St. John Paul II uh, was the w- w- began to speak in terms of uh, those four dimensions in a document that that he wrote in the early 1990s called Pastores Dabo Vobis. I will give you shepherds, and that really changed the emphasis of uh, or expanded, I should say, the emphasis of seminary formation. Still, in the early years after the Second Vatican Council, in, in to say, hey, wait a second, it's more than just school. It's Human formation, it's pastoral formation. It's that, you know, human formation is basically maturity, affective maturity. Uh, to be a priest, you really do have to have a, 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 you have to have good interpersonal skills. 
You have to be able to form healthy relationships. You have to be able to joyfully and freely embrace a celibate lifestyle, celibate and make that commitment uh, to live chastely and, and as a celibate, but joyfully. And, and, and that requires integration that, that takes time and a lot of discernment and careful work with a young man. Spiritual formation, you would presume that, right? But that's your relationship with God. That uh, that's extremely important because any kind of experience of, uh, you know, the a relationship with God in a very explicit way, I, I, I have to have that tap into the well of God's grace in my relationship with God if I'm ever going to be able to lead other people to do the same thing. And that's, it's not, again, not unique to anybody. We all need human formation. We all need spiritual formation as well. But, but so typically a seminarian would have a, uh, he has to have a spiritual director with whom he would meet every two to three weeks. Um, you know, and that's a, like, like confession, but it's a one-on-one relationship where a, a seminarian and, uh, you know, really focuses on what's God doing in my life right now. And that's something that priests uh, and all people can have as well. But, you know, priests really need to have a spiritual director as well, too. Uh, I've, I've always been in direction from the time I was in the seminary. And it's uh, real important. And then finally, pastoral formation. That's kind of the toolbox that, that priests have, you know. Uh, things that would be in, in pastoral formation would be homiletics. Preaching is very important. Now, you need a theological basis for that to do it well. So there's a, there's, there's a lot. That's, but also it would be, uh, you know, celebrating the sacraments. How, what's the practical? How do you say mass? How do you administer the sacraments? What about um, leadership and organization and administration in a parish and and working with working with with groups and and how do you do personnel management? Because priests get into all of that. That's all kind of pastoral formation. Um, how do we effectively engage young people and older people and married couples and families? And that's again pastoral formation. But you can see that all four of those dimensions they interact. They're interdependent. So they're not discreet. And if they're not talking to each other, you can end up with a you know uh, somebody who. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have all those dimensions. I mean, nobody has the whole package where nobody's perfect. So, I mean, there are going to be priests that are maybe a little bit shy on the, the human formation side, you know, and maybe a little bit uh, reticent to speak who are brilliant scholars, you know. And sometimes that, that, that's okay. It, you know, it, it balances itself out. You find someone who's very, very like St. John Vianney uh, was a terrible student. You know, he struggled. <laughs> Incredibly, but I mean, he's a saint. He was incredibly pastoral. He was a, he was a great preacher, and he was totally dedicated to his people. He was a model for he's the patron saint of secular priests. So, we all have strengths and weaknesses, but ideally, they in in a seminary, those four dimensions are integrated. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos. Or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.